Good morning, church. It is so good to see all of you here today, and I also want to welcome those of you who are watching at home. We're glad that you're able to join us as well. We are in a series called Now More Than Ever, Why the Church is Needed in 2021, and today's message is called ICU. Now, I've only been in the intensive care unit once. Um, when I first went th through my first bout of cancer, I was on chemo, and about two or three months in, um, I started having trouble breathing. I couldn't walk two steps without panting. So obviously we went to the ER and they pretty quickly put me into the ICU where they hooked me up with gadgets and had me run through all sorts of tests and found out that I had not one but two blood clots uh, in my lung and on top of that had pneumonia that uh, usually only um, AIDS patients um, get. None of us ever want to have to be in the ICU, but it sure is good to know it's there when we need it. Today, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how important it is for us to be the ICU for the world. But before we do, I just want to say to all of you who are in the medical community, who work in the medical community, that I have mad respect for you, especially in this last year. Your compassion and your skill has been exemplary. And, and when I talk about the medical community, understand that I don't mean just doctors and nurses and therapists and aides. I mean receptionists and janitors and all of the medical community. So thank you for what you do. The hard truth is, is that life hits hard sometimes. Life hits hard sometimes, and that means that there are a lot of hurting people out there in the world. And when I say world, I don't mean just world. I mean there are a lot of hurting people in Jackson County. There are a lot of hurting people in the city of Jefferson. There might get hurting people in your neighborhood and my neighborhood. And my guess is, is that today, some of you are hurting. That you're part of the hurting of the world. The church, it comes as no surprise to you, the church is to be the ICU for the hurting of the world. One of my favorite scriptures is from 2 Corinthians, and it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, I love that, the God of all comfort, love that, who comforts us in what? All of our troubles. So we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. In short, we comfort others with the same comfort that we receive from God. And I'm guessing that if I spent the rest of this message trying to convince you that the church is to be the ICU for the hurting, that I would be spending my time trying to convince you of something that you're already convinced of, right? You already believe the church should be the ICU for the hurting. 
So what I'm going to do today is something a little different than what I usually do. I want to talk about how we could be the ICU to the hurting. Because just like in the ICU in the hospital, they use certain skills to be able to care for those who are physically, medically hurting. There are also skills for us in the church that we can learn to care for the hurting of the world. So let's start with that. Number one, utilize your spiritual gift. One of the amazing things about God is that when you cross the line of faith, when you make Jesus your Savior and your Lord, God does something spiritual, something supernatural. He gives you at least one spiritual gift. Now, if you are a Christ follower and you don't know what that is, there is a place on your Connect card. Pull it out and check it. I want to discover my spiritual gift. And our office will contact you as long as you put your contact information on there. Please do. We will contact you, and we will give you a link to a test that you can take. It's kind of long, but it asks you questions about yourself that you can discover your spiritual gift, and then somebody from the church will contact you and answer any questions that you might have about that. But some of you will discover that you have the spiritual gift of mercy. Let me say this very clearly. Never discount your gift of mercy. Your gift of mercy is just as important as the gift of preaching, the gift of teaching, and the gift of leadership in the church. If you serve nowhere else in the church, but you spend time walking around this room or up and down this hallway, mercying, is that a word? On people, pouring out your compassion on people, that's all we need of you. If you spend your time going to the grocery store and providing compassion, or in your neighborhood providing compassion, you are doing what you are called to do, and you are doing something that's just as important as a preacher preaching the message, as an elder leading the church, or as a teacher in the children's area teaching kids about our awesome Savior, Jesus Christ. Do not discount your spiritual gift. But if you do not have the spiritual gift of mercy, that doesn't take you off the hook. Listen to what the scripture says. Finally, who of you? <laughs> all of you, meaning all of us, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and humble. Notice it doesn't say, if you have the gift of mercy, be sympathetic. If you have the gift of mercy, love one another. If you have the gift of mercy, be compassionate with one another. It says, all of you. Sometimes I have heard people who do not have the spiritual gift of mercy high up on their gift mix. In fact, some of them have it down here, argue that they don't care for other people because it's not in their gift mix. That is not a good excuse. What does it say? All of you. There are skills that you can learn 
to be able to be an effective worker in the ICU of the church for the world. Number two, mine your hurts. Just like you would mine gold in a mine, mind your hurts. What I mean by that is, is remember how you've been hurt in the past. That's hard to do, but I'm, I'm pretty sure this. Every single one of us knows what hurt feels like. Every single one of us. Remember how you felt. That gives you compassion for others. Then remember the things that people said to you and the things that people did for you that were helpful. And do that for others. Then remember the things that you wish people would have said to you and wish people would have done for you and then do those things for others. Then remember those things that people said to you and did to you that were hurtful and don't do those things, <laughs> right? Mine, your hurts. And when you do that, you will then become an effective ICU worker in the church. Number three, pray. Now, I'm not going to talk a lot about this. We talk a lot about prayer here. Do not underestimate the importance of prayer when it comes to compassion. One of the most effective ways that you could show compassion to another person is through prayer. Now, what I'm suggesting is that you consider being a part of the prayer team. Every week, we get prayer requests in from the Connect cards, from online, from the app, from people calling in. We get prayer requests, and we print those out if they're not confidential. If they're confidential, it only goes to the staff. Is that right? Just the staff and the pastors. But if it's not confidential, it goes to the prayer team. And one of my favorite things to do during my quiet time in the morning is to take that list and pray down through those prayer requests. I encourage you, check off the box on your Connect card that says, I would like to be a part of the prayer team so that you can be a part of the ICU team. Number four, post here at Crossroads. So I'm going to give you the ugly truth. Sometimes there is discrimination in the church. I can't, I, I don't know of any specific examples at Crossroads. I'd be surprised if there aren't examples of this. But sometimes there are, dis, dis, there is discrimination in the church where we avoid people who are difficult people. People who are overly needy. People who are poor. I heard one person in another church tell me that she wasn't going, she couldn't stand to help another person or even talk to her because she smelled so bad because it smelled like her cats had peed on her clothes. There can be no discrimination in the church. The Bible says this, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, 
here's a good seat for you right up front. And you say to the man who is poor, you stand over there or you sit at my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Do I need to say anything more? Point received. There can be no discrimination that happens in the church when it comes to helping the hurting. Number five, slow down. Confession. I have a tendency when I am here at church to leave these doors and walk very quickly down the hallway to the front doors. Sometimes I stand at the front door so I can greet people, but I walk very quickly down the hallway. Sometimes I pass people, and I'll say what everybody says, right? How you doing? Have a good week? And I keep on going. I have missed, I'm sure of it, I have missed a lot of opportunities to provide compassion to people because I've been going too fast. If you read about Jesus, and I hope you're reading about Jesus, because he's awesome. If you read about Jesus, you will see that no matter how busy he was, he always slowed down to care for hurting people. He always slowed down. So what I'm saying to you is this. When somebody is hurting and they start to share with you, Make sure that you square your body with them. Do not do one of these things. How you doing? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Why? Because what are you telling them? I can't wait to bolt right out of here. Square right up with them. Make eye contact with them. And then you will be able to do the next step, and that is, Listen. The Bible says this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Boy, if we could live that out in our marriages, with our kids, <laughs> in our workplaces, in our neighborhood. Woo. But when it comes to the hurting, be quick to listen and slow to speak. So when you're in the hallway and you ask somebody, how you're doing? It's fine. How was your week? Great. And you get a sense in your spirit that maybe things aren't so fine. That maybe things weren't so great this week. Ask them, are you sure? Something about the way you said fine made me wonder. Ask them the question and then actively listen. It says to be quick to listen, but it also says slow to speak. So the two go together. You don't just listen and not say anything. You can also talk. And what you would say are things like this. You would say, tell me more. You're actively listening because what you want to do is to find out where they're at, how they're feeling, what they're going through. Actively listen. The Bible says 
that love is patient, love is kind. And the way that you love other people through patience and kindness is by listening to them. Number seven, say something. Say something. One of the most common reasons that I hear from people for not engaging with hurting people is they'll tell me, I don't know what to say. So they don't engage with other people because they say, I, I, I just don't know what to say to them. Please listen to me very carefully. Just by your presence. Just by your attention. Just by your active listening. You are doing a thousand times more than anything you could say. One author said it this way. He said 90% of helping is just showing up. I love that. 90% of helping is just showing up. So if you don't know what to say when somebody's talking to you, first of all, remember that you are not there to fix them anyway. Your job is not to fix. Very few of you are therapists. Your job is not to fix. That's somebody else's job to fix them. In fact, it's not the therapist's job either. It is God's job. And last I checked, nobody is God here. We've got to get that out of our mind, that we've got to say something to make them feel better or to fix them. So when you don't know what to say, what do you say? I hear you and I care for you. See how that makes a difference? I don't have a solution, but I sure do hurt with you. I don't know what to say, but I am here for you and I'm going to be here for you throughout this to the end. You don't know what to say, say that. But it don't say that last thing, I don't, I mean, I know exactly how you feel. If that is in your box of caring, I want you to take it out of that toolbox and throw it into the pit of hell. Was that emphatic enough? Because I could work on that a little bit. <laughs> Don't say that. You do not know exactly how they feel. You may have some inkling because you may have experienced something similar, but we are all unique individuals, and we experience things uniquely. You do not know exactly how they feel. So just don't say it. Oh, <laughs> I got a little worked up. Number eight. Avoid advice giving. Now, I don't have time to read this scripture to you today, but write, write this down. Luke 12, 13 through 21. A man comes to Jesus for advice. Actually, he's commanding Jesus to give him the advice that he wanted. And Jesus refused to give him advice. Instead, he got at the heart of the matter. Personally, I've had trouble with this throughout my life. 
I have always felt that if somebody asked me for their advice, that I was required to give them advice. And that's just not true. I'll be honest with you. There have been times when people have asked me for advice and I've given them some really bad advice. I remember a time several years ago that has never gone away from me where I gave somebody advice to actually go and sin. You do not have to give advice. You don't. But if they ask for advice, you can say things like this. You can say, if I was experiencing what you were experiencing, I might, I don't know about you, but I might try this. I don't know if it'd work for you, but I might try this. Or when I experienced something similar, what helped me was this. I don't know if it'll help you, but this is what I did when I experienced something similar. You do not have to give advice when you're asked for it. Number nine, trash meaningless platitudes. 20, I can't remember, Jill, 20, I know how many years, 28 years ago, our son Jesse was miscarried. And we heard the same meaningless platitude over and over and over again. You probably can guess what it was if you've ever lost a child through miscarriage or lost a child uh, after they were born. I'll never forget, I was at the church when I first heard it. I was an associate pastor at this church, and, and we had just finished church, and I was standing outside of the sanctuary, and the guy came up to me, and he said, don't worry, Jeff. And I wanted to punch him right in the face. We did try again. And Trevor was born. And Trevor... Trevor is an absolute, I, I've used this with him, it's a play on words, but Trevor is a treasure to us. He's a treasure, but he has never been a substitute for Jesse. Never once was he a substitute for Jesse. We still wish Jesse was alive 28 years later, and we're looking forward to that day, that great and glorious day when we will meet him face to face in heaven. Avoid meaningless platitudes. Church, we are famous for meaningless platitudes. We are famous for saying things that may be true, but we say them at the wrong time. We should never say things to hurting people. Now, I've listed a bunch of them. I'm only going to talk about a few. But to somebody who is deeply hurting, do not say, this was God's will. When they're deeply hurting, do not say, you must accept God's will. When they're deeply hurting, do not say, you may not see it now, but God's will is always good and pleasing and perfect. When they're deeply hurting, do not say, God works all things for good for those who love him. Now, all of those things are in Scripture. All of those things are true, but when you say them at the wrong time, when they're deeply hurting, what does the hurting person feel like? 
What do they think in their head? How could a loving God cause something like this to happen to me? How can God be loved? It can actually, these things can actually drive a wedge between that person and God. There may be a time for saying those things, but when they're deeply in distress, that is not the time. When my mom was in college, my grandpa was in his 40s and he was electrocuted to death. And when my mom was at the funeral home, somebody came up and offered her a meaningless platitude. They said, God needed another rose for his rose garden. And my mom thought, God needed another rose. Doesn't God have enough roses in his rose garden? What I need is not for God to have another rose in his rose garden in heaven. I need my dad, and I need him here right now. Now, we've got to be careful, because with the meaningless platitudes, what we're trying to do is make the other person feel better. We're trying to fix them. So trash the meaningless platitudes. Number 10. Use appropriate touch. It is okay to touch someone who is deeply hurting, but please keep in mind that there are some people who do not want to be touched. They may have been through an atrocity that they don't want to be touched. So you need to ask. You may be a hugger and want to hug every creature on this planet. <laughs> ask, can I give you a hug? And if you put your hand on their back, men, especially if you're touching a woman, on her, putting your hand on her back, whether it's for you're in a prayer circle or whatever, it's never the back, the lower part of the back. It's never over the bra line. It's up here, right up here. Never the knee. And if you're going to touch the hand or hold the hand, you ask, can I hold your hand? Just ask. Most of the time they're going to say yes. But use appropriate touch. Number 11, when appropriate, actively do something. Here's another phrase. If there's anything I could do for you, let me know. How many times have I said that in my life? And guess how many times I've been taken up on it? That's right, zero. Zero. So what we've got to do is be more specific. I'm going to the grocery store on Saturday. What am I going to pick up for you? Tuesday afternoon, I've got some time. I'm coming over to mow your lawn. Friday night, I'm coming over to take care of your kids so you can get away and do whatever you want to do. Be specific or ask them for specifics. And don't let them off the hook. Oh, I, I'm not sure. I don't think I... 
seriously, you can think of something. If you can't, I'll call you tomorrow after you've had some time to think of something specific that I can do for you. Do something specific. Also, listen, I work in hospice, and it is known across hospice, this to be true, when a loved one dies, people rally around the bereaved in the first and second week. They rally around them. But studies show that in the third week, that support system starts to fade away. By the fourth week, it gets worse. And the grief is still intense in the third week, in the fourth week, in the fifth week, and so forth. If somebody shares with you that they're hurting, don't act like the conversation never happened. Follow up with them. Even if you have to schedule it on your calendar, follow up a card, a letter, um, a, a phone call, a lunch, a coffee. I don't know, but follow up with them to see how they are doing. Check up with them. Now, there's some resources that are listed up here. Uh, knowing that, um, that very few of us are therapists in this room and you're not sure where to find a therapist, if you need a therapist or somebody that you're talking to is needing one, to show them therapist.psychologytoday.com. I've used this over and over again. What you do is you put in your zip code and it puts up all hundreds of people. That's too big. So then you put in your insurance. That narrows it down. Then you put in the issues you feel like you're struggling with. Then you put in if you want a man or a woman. Then there's some other search things too. And then you can read the description the therapist has written, find their contact information, find out where they were educated. Um, and you can be, you, you can be uh, discriminatory if they went to UGA if you want to. Oh, that's got to be a good one. Duke's better, but. And Purdue's even better than that, so there. I don't think I've ever stuck my tongue out at a congregation before. Actively do something. Celebrate Recovery is up there. Can I hear a whoop whoop? Celebrate Recovery. It meets Monday nights. It is not just for people struggling with substance abuse, right? It's for people who have hang-ups and habits. And what's the next one? Hurts. In fact, if you go out to the table right out here, you will find this flyer, and it has all sorts of hurts that are listed. I wish I hadn't forgotten to put it on the Connect card, so just write CR on your Connect card, and Penny or Don will call you and tell you more about what CR is all about, what, what Celebrate Recovery is all about. All right, number 12. I have never heard this preached on in church. Set healthy boundaries. Jesus told a parable about a good Samaritan 
this good Samaritan is on his way to Jerusalem. Now, most likely he was going there for business because he was Samaritan and not a Jew. He probably wasn't going for religious purposes. He's on his way, and he sees a man who's been robbed, beaten, and is fighting for his life. He gets off his donkey, he bandages the man up, he puts the man on his donkey, takes him to the nearest inn, because there weren't ERs back then. He spends the rest of that day with him, and then the next day, he leaves. Now, I don't know about you, but for years, I didn't feel like that was the right move. What in the world? Why did you not stay with the man at least another day, at least a week, at least to see him get his back on his feet? Now, granted, he did give the innkeeper some money to watch out after the man, and he did say he would come back and pay for any extra expenses. But why did he leave? Well, um, I walk most every day, and right now I'm listening to a book on Audible um, called Boundaries. It's written by two clinical psychologists um, who are Christian, who use lots of scripture to help me and those who read it to know how to set healthy boundaries. And he explained this scripture. The Good Samaritan had a healthy boundary. He provided for the man by, band, by, first of all, pulling his donkey over. Two other men didn't. By pulling his donkey over, bandaging him, providing money for his care, coming back later to check on him, but he still had the healthy boundary of going on and taking care of his business. Paul also talked about a healthy boundary. He said this in 2 Thessalonians, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Meaning, if you're able to work and work is available, the church should not enable you and become codependent with you by providing money for you to eat. Your job, if you're able, remember these clarifications, if you're not able to, the church should help you. If work is not available, the church should help you. But if you're able to work and work is available, boundary. I encourage you, friend, that if you are being sucked dry of your resources and your time, you probably do not have healthy boundaries. We were not called to be martyrs in that way. If you are feeling guilty, you're doing it because you're feeling guilty. You'd feel guilty if you didn't allow them to use up all your resources and time. You do not have healthy boundaries. If you feel like you should, that you're obligated, you do not have healthy boundaries. If you are resentful of the other person, you do not have healthy boundaries. If you are angry with the other person, you do not have healthy boundaries boundaries. For us to be effective as ICU workers in the church, we have to have healthy boundaries. Why? Because if we do for others what they need to do for themselves, we are actually hurting them. Secondly, if we do not have healthy boundaries, we will burn out. 
They call it compassion fatigue. We will burn out and then we won't be helping anybody at that point. We won't. We've got to have healthy boundaries. So I mentioned that book. It's called Boundaries. To find it in Google, just put Boundaries Cloud. One of the author's name is Cloud. Boundaries Cloud. Um, and you can find more about it there. Those are the 12 ways that I believe that Crossroads could be an effective ICU for the hurting. I know it's been a lot of things listed, 12 things, so I'm going to do something that I don't usually do, and that is um, if you would like to have the manuscript of this message, you can check box on your Connect card and have there. <laughs> and as they say, um, there's always things that I didn't have time to say, so there's bonus material. Ooh. <laughs> you say, I don't want it, but all right. The bottom line is this. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Catch this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The church is definitely the ICU for the hurting inside of the church. And imagine if we were really caring for each other like Jesus called us to care for one another in the church. If we really were an ICU for the hurting here, you know what would happen if we loved each other that way? People outside of these walls would see the love that is happening inside of these walls. They would be drawn inside of these walls. They would be attracted to Jesus. And their sins would be forgiven. They would receive the leadership that they've always been looking for in other places. They would discover life in all of its fullness. And they would receive a secure spot in heaven if we love one another. The church is the ICU for the hurting. If you are here today and your sins have not been forgiven and you know it, and you're still looking for leadership and you want the leadership that Jesus can provide, you want life in all of its fullness. You want a secure place in heaven. Pray with me now. Pray something like this. Jesus, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me for my sins. I promise that I will follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for promising to be my leader. I love you. If you prayed that prayer with just one pencil dot of faith and sincerity, your sins 
have been forgiven. They have been separated from you as far as the east is from the west. Jesus is going to lead you. And you right now have a secure spot in heaven. Lord, I thank you that you are the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. I thank you for the comfort that you have given us. I pray, Lord, that you will make Crossroads an effective ICU for the hurting, that you will teach us, that you will guide us. Lord, I pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.